Is the healthcare industry ready to comply with GDPR? Is the security market headed for a bubble burst in 2018? And we take a look at the conversation around fraud trends this year. Those stories coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Joan Goodchild. How much will U.S. healthcare providers be impacted by the requirements of the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, which will be enforced beginning in May? Marianne McGee of ISMG's healthcareinfosecurity.com recently talked to regulatory attorney Stephen Wu about the conditions under which compliance is required, and she joins us now with details. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Joan. So we've been talking about GDPR from all angles. Uh, the May deadline is almost upon us for organizations to be in compliance, not just an EU consideration, even though it is an EU initiative, obviously pertains to U.S. organizations too. They're handling data that belongs to EU citizens. You had the opportunity to dig into GTPR around healthcare organizations recently in an interview. What can you tell us about it? I had an interview with Stephen Wu, who is a healthcare regulatory and privacy attorney at the Silicon Valley Law Group. He's trying to sort of sort through some of the confusion about what U.S. healthcare provider types of organizations need to worry about GDPR. And it's a little more complicated than what I'm going to say, but in, in bottom line, Wu seems to think that the entities that have to worry about it in the U.S. are healthcare entities that either have some sort of business operations in countries uh, in the European Union or organizations, healthcare entities that actively seek patients to come from Europe to the U.S. for health services. Those that actively market to European patients, for instance, putting up uh, advertisements on websites in foreign languages, or it's, you know, France, you, know, you have French language advertising saying, you know, come to the U.S. for this special service that we offer. And here's a little from your interview with Stephen Wu about that criteria. To determine whether they are covered, they should ask the question about whether they are located within member states. So are they doing some kind of operations there? Are they collecting information from patients in the EU? And then also, are they marketing any services to European residents? So for example, let's say the Mayo Clinic in the United States is putting out advertising in, let's say, France and has this French language advertisement saying, come to the United States for this fantastic health care and we'll take your, your euros. Um, if they're doing that, then they've opened themselves up to GDPR compliance requirements. The healthcare industry is certainly no stranger to compliance. I mean, we've had HIPAA in place for many years now. What about comparisons between HIPAA and what they're used to there and GDPR? Is there an overall feeling of readiness based on this or is this completely unique and different? I think it, what we're probably likely to see is that like HIPAA, which has been around about nearly 20 years, you have healthcare entities that are very good about not only complying, but they go way beyond what's required. And you still have entities that struggle. And I think GDPR is likely to be a similar situation for a lot of healthcare entities that would indeed fall under that umbrella. Again, in some cases, though, the organizations that are actively seeking European patients, you would say, well, maybe they have their act together more so than small clinics somewhere 
in New York who might take care of a sick tourist from Europe who isn't seeking the business of European patients and wouldn't be under GDPR. You know, lucky for that clinic, they, again, probably wouldn't fall under GDPR and there was a good chance that they wouldn't be ready for that anyway. A lot of the smaller healthcare entities in general are the ones that tend to struggle with HIPAA and know, uh, undoubtedly, they would likely struggle with the requirements of GDPR. When we return, is the security market due for a bubble burst? And there's been a, a fair amount of underinvestment in that area. A venture capital expert weighs in. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. ISMG's 2018 global events will take place in over 100 cities across four continents. Don't miss the opportunity to meet with over 5,000 senior information security professionals and leading technology vendors from around the world to discuss the most pressing cybersecurity issues we face today. Visit events.ismg.io today. Welcome back. The security industry has been experiencing a boom in the last decade as organizations continue to scramble to keep pace with the now ever-present problem of cybercrime. But can this growth continue at this level? This week, Tom Field, ISMG's Vice President of Editorial, sits down with Alberto Yepes, Managing Director of Trident Capital, and asks, where is innovation heading for 2018 in security? There will always be new technologies. We talk about IoT, the connected car. Oftentimes, established companies are not the ones coming up with the new ideas, the new products. So we will see that continued growth of new innovative companies coming out to market. That doesn't mean that 3,000 companies are going to be successful. Less than 10% of those companies will will probably make it, but uh, it's the rate of innovation in cybersecurity is directly correlated to the innovation in, in the broader innovation in technology in our industry. Another question top of mind for investors, are we headed for a bubble burst or have we seen one? The threat is real. The, the adversaries are well-funded. They're very sophisticated. The type of attack is very complex. The attack surface is becoming even broader. Therefore, I believe that while there may be a bubble from a financial market standpoint, cybersecurity will continue the growth of innovation because the problem has not been solved. You can hear more of Tom Field's interview with Alberto Yepes this week on our ISMG sites. Next up, the beginning of each year means the ISMG team is busy preparing another round of great and informative events for security professionals. Tracy Kitten, ISMG's Director of Global Events Content, and executive editor of Bank Info Security, has been working on our upcoming New York event in March, which will deal specifically with the topic of fraud. She joins us now with details on what she's finding as she prepares content for the sessions. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Joan. So you've been talking to a lot of folks and prepping for this New York event and certainly digging into the different kinds of fraud. Let's start with new account fraud. What can you tell us about what you're learning there right now? Sure, Joan. As you mentioned, I've just been doing a lot of outreach to industry sources to just get a feel for what are some of the most significant fraud trends that we're going to see in 2018. And of course, I've been talking to financial institutions because that's kind of my niche. And new account fraud isn't anything really 
new. We've seen new account fraud um, for a number of years, but I think there's some interesting, you know, takes here. One thing that I'm hearing a lot from institutions about is the fact that all of this breach data that's out in the marketplace now and, and for sale on the dark web because of primarily retailers that have been breached has given fraudsters a lot of information to open up new accounts. So they're taking information that they've stolen, the legitimate information about cardholders, customers, and they're using that information to open up new accounts with synthetic identities. Now, the positive piece to this story that we probably haven't really highlighted in the past, because we have seen breaches and new account fraud, as I mentioned, for a number of years, is that banking institutions are now successfully suing over many of these data breaches. So by suing these breached entities, they're able to recoup some of their losses. And they're also, in some ways, perhaps settling with some of these breached retailers. So it's enabling them to actually take a step forward. And I think it's also continuing to put a light on the fact that we need to really shore up security at the retail point of sale. In another topic we'll be looking at at our event this year in 2018, cross-channel fraud. Tell us more about what we can expect the conversation around that. So ultimately what we're seeing is that once one channel is overtaken, then it's very easy for fraudsters to take over other accounts or other channels, such as credit card checking and savings. So for instance, the example of the mobile, the mobile takeover, the porting over of the numbers there. Once they're able to take over that mobile phone, they're able to defeat out-of-band authentication or one-time passcodes. They're getting the text alerts that come from the banking institution about different transactions. And then they're able to easily use that information to take over other banking accounts, which we can see here how this chain of events, you know, kind of unfolds. It's a domino effect. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Joan. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Joan Goodchild. Catch you next time.